We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Let's pray together. So, Father, that is our our worship to you, and that is also our prayer that we would see and behold and cherish your glory. Help us to learn this Sunday what that means and to, by the end of our time here, be at a place where we can say with a full, whole, honest heart, Lord, we want to follow hard after you. We want to worship you with our lives, and we want to reflect your glory. So that's our prayer, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. And kids at this time, seven and younger, are dismissed to our children's ministry. Um, wanted to just say thank you to a few folks. Uh, one thank you to all of you bringing uh, gift cards and some food for our friends at the Y. Uh, There's a lady at the Y who's fallen on some hard times. And uh, we just believe that we are here on purpose with a mission. And um, this is a great uh, way to encourage and um, and minister to to those among us, those in our community. So uh, we'll do this for another Sunday. And we'll give her some groceries and some gift cards and... um, and we will pray for her. So uh, if on the way out, you want to just jot her a note, we don't need to know her name or anything, but just tell her that you're praying for. Maybe if a passage of scripture comes to mind, um, uh, that those notes are in the back. And so thank you. Uh, thank you, Joe and, and uh, Becca and David for leading us and for Tim for reading the scriptures to us. If you would, uh, prior to starting, um, I'd like to just have you take out this card. This was uh, put on every other seat. Uh, one side says, what is the city movement and what, uh, and then why the YMCA uh, with a little QR co- code? Um, and then the other side is a map. Um, so just quick, quick note on who we are and where we're headed and what we believe that the Lord's doing. Um, so we are a part of a church network called the City Movement. City is short for Church in the Y. And as I said before, we just we really are grateful and thankful. We're not viewing this place as just a place to rent, but one of our first mission fields. And there are many, many, many churches in the country and around the world that have the same core convictions. Um, And we believe that planting churches in the YMCA is one of the most fertile grounds for church planting right now. That's really exciting. Um, And um, really, um, this map communicates that there are certain hot spots that we want to call churches around the country to start praying for that there would be a church planted in these YMCAs. So these dots are YMCAs. 
And we're calling them hotspots because each leader in this YMCA is a believer and wanting a church in their Y. Um, and so here we have an organization um, like what movie theaters or what community centers or what schools are saying this? Please come church plant at our place and bring the gospel and have it flourish, right? And nobody's saying that, but the YMCA is saying that. And so it's really exciting to be a part of this movement. And so um, initially, I just want to call us to pray um, that the Lord would raise up the laborers to plant. Right now, um, uh, we are sending two people from Texas to North Carolina. This is a part of where our mission's money is going, even in this local church, um, to run a city movement booth to a church planting conference um, called the Pillar, uh, Pillar Church Planting Conference. Uh, and the Pillar Network is hosting 600 church planters this week. You can be praying that their hearts would be stirred to plant churches in these 12 Ys. Um, so we're going to have two representatives there. And this week as well, Hannah and I and 11 others are going to Silver Bay, New York to host a YMCA and pastors church planting conference. And so if you would be praying for that, we'll pray here in a minute. Uh, but it's, uh, I think the count is up to 70 people coming to Silver Bay devoted to pray for and see the gospel be, um, be advanced forward through churches in the wise. And so it'd be really exciting. Um, and, um, and we'll see what the Lord does. And I'll tell you about it next week when we get back. Can we just stop and pray for a moment? Let's pray for this vision. So Lord, this is a God-sized vision. Um, only you can carry it through. You can carry it forth. Lord, but you in your humility choose to use your servants. You use people to advance the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray now that, um, that more churches would be raised up and planted in these YMCAs. And, Lord, would you show us, the gathering, how we can take part in this strategic mission in which you've called us to. And we love you, and we're trusting you in this. We don't know all the details. We don't know uh, how to carry it out um, from point A to point B. But we are going to walk by faith and not by sight, um, as you uh, desire to be known in this world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, before we go into um, 1 Samuel chapter 4, I want to show you something in Romans 15, 4. So would you meet me there? Uh, sometimes it is good when we start these random Old Testament texts with weird stories, weird occurrences, and weird names it's good to remind ourselves what's happening um, in the Bible. And so I want, I want to read to you Romans 15, 4. If you got a pen, go ahead and underline this verse, circle it. Um, it'll help us understand what's happening. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. I'll start reading in verse 4. It says, For whatever was written in our former days, so that'd be the Old Testament, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have, what does your text say? We might have hope. That's right. And so this text that we're going to go into, 1 Samuel chapter 4, 
all of this scripture is meant to give us great endurance, to encourage us, even though this is a little bit of a downer passage, it's meant to give us hope. And so our task uh, throughout this time together is as we look at this scripture, that it's going to prod us, it's going to provoke us to have hope and to glory in our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so let's go ahead and go there. Go ahead and uh, find 1 Samuel 4 now. It's in the Old Testament, way to the left. And the title of the sermon today is The Choice, Glory or Good Luck Charm. The Choice, Glory or Good Luck Charm. And if you're visiting with us this morning, I just want to give you a special welcome. And um, we just pray that this time for you would be an encouragement and it would give you great hope. Let's start like this. Have you, friends, uh, ever faced a significant challenge in your life and you've had this opportunity? All right, now I'm, I'm facing this challenge. I'm going through this hardship. I've got to turn somewhere. Um, I'm tempted to turn everywhere else except the Lord. Have you ever like faced that temptation in your life? Like, I know I should turn to the Lord, but it's just not practical. I just can't see him. I can't touch. I can't feel. And so I'm facing a hardship right now. And here's how the mind and the heart works in the human heart. It goes, I'm going to try to fix it. And so I'm going to turn to practical solutions that like I can come up with. Right? Something external, something that I can see, something that would, would, would pour forth or show a, a tangible evidence that things are getting better. Because turning to God for help in our time of struggle, it just doesn't feel practical. It just doesn't... Actually, it, it would require something called faith. And faith is something that you can't see. And so we're called to like walk by faith and not by sight, but oh, it's just easier to walk by sight. And you've never been there? Well, let's learn from the Israelites and what not to do. Meet me in verse 2 of chapter 4. So the Philistines, this is Israel's enemy, drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? So there's the questioning of God. Have you ever questioned God like that? Like, Lord, why is this happening? Actually, right here, the elders of Israel are asking a pretty good question. Like, why has this happened and why have we been defeated? Um, I don't think that they were sinning in this question, but it is a good question because it, it often um, allows the person, it allows us to stop when things are happening, when hardships are occurring, to go, Lord, what are you doing? Why are these things happening in my life? Gives us a chance to pause and evaluate. 
quick pause, we know that when bad things happen in our life, it doesn't mean that it's a direct correlation to sin. We've been over that before. Like it doesn't mean, um, oh, bad things happen. I must have done something wrong. That's, we said it a few weeks ago, that's the, that's the theology of a prosperity gospel. But when bad things happen, and we, then, then we begin to experience them, it's this provoking, it's this, this, this process where we are to lift our heads. C.S. Lewis says that pain is, is God's megaphone to a dying world, trying to get our attention. And so we have here so far the book of 1 Samuel, right on the heels of Judges, where we've got these people who have in cycles followed the Lord and then said, nah, I kind of want to do, do what I want to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow what is right in my own eyes. That's how the book of Judges ends. This pattern of sin is occurring again and again and again. The spiritual leadership we've seen in 1 Samuel is going way downhill. Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. There's just garbage in relation to leading God's people. Total negligence is occurring and rebellion is happening in the nation against the Lord. And so the question of why God? Why are we? Why is this happening? Like we're, we're the Philistines are defeating us. This is how it should have gone. Okay, ready? Should have gone like this. Why God is this happening? Oh, I know. Because you've told us in your word. You told us in Deuteronomy. You told us in Leviticus. That if we are to break the covenant with you, if we are to be a disobedient people, if the pattern of our life is in rebellion towards God, that you have told us that you will allow us to be defeated against our enemies and you will allow us to be scattered. That's how the conversation should have happened in this text, but it didn't. Let's see how it develops. They should have said, yeah, we know the word. But like we learned last week, they, the word was still rare in their minds and their hearts. And so, instead of turning to the Lord in repentance, these guys turned to a box. They turned to a piece of furniture, thinking that was going to save them. Let me read it. It says, let us bring the ark of the covenant to the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Verse 4, so the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts. By the way, that's the full uh, technical name of the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts. That's a Bible trivia for you a little bit. Who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. All right, so let's just take a moment and breathe a little bit. Um, last week, um, if you remember, I shared with you that, that I, your pastor, was in sin. And then I repented to my wife. And I, and I, and I framed it in such a way where I said, Hannah, please forgive me. I, I haven't been washing you with the word I've been washing you with grumbling and complaining. 
Remember that? Please forgive me. And I bring that up not so to just wallow in my sin from last week that's been forgiven, but to teach you again and to bring it up, to keep it fresh in our mind of how the sinful mind works in the life of even a believer. So when I was being convicted of my sin, okay, when we were discussing like what I was doing that wasn't pleasing to the Lord, how I was offending a holy God, in my mind, initially, here's how I started to work and think. I'll fix this. I'll change the schedule. I'll do something different externally that will make everything better. Like if this is a cake, I'll put some frosting on top of it so everything will be nice and smooth and it'll go well. And my wife and my kids, everything will be happy. I'll fix it. And what I was saying intrinsically, like what I was really saying, because from the heart, from the mouth, the heart speaks, right? From the heart, the mouth speaks. What I was saying was this. I don't need a heart transformation. I don't need to be changed from the inside. I will fix the schedule, the, the scenery, the situations, I'll bring about the change so that everyone can be happy. <laughs> but that's not what God wanted. That's not what my wife wanted. It's not what my kids wanted. God wanted me. He wanted me back, a relationship, a fellowship with me. My wife wanted me back. She, she wanted to converse again as one. It was a relationship. And what was needed was an inside change from me. Something that only God could do. But that would result in the lasting impact. Do you hear how, how even your pastors is broken? And how I need Jesus? Once again, here's the quote again that I shared last week, that my mom shared with me, that Christian maturity isn't needing Jesus less. It's needing Jesus more. That's Christian maturity. And so I thank the Lord that he has, has changed my heart, that he's given the grace for me to repent and go back to the Lord. Unfortunately, here the leaders of Israel, uh, they, 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 weren't, they weren't spurred on. Their hearts weren't warmed back to the things of God. They didn't want a heart change. They wanted external change. And so what did they do? They said, hey, how about instead of turning to the Lord, let's turn to religiosity. Let's get the religious box and let's bring it back. Because religion works not our Redeemer, right? Maybe, here's how they, they thought, maybe we could manipulate the Maker and do what we want rather than actually move towards Him in repentance and real heart change unto the Lord. And so they said, let's get the Ark of the Covenant, right? All right, so a little description about the Ark. This is the first time in this church and first time in 1 Samuel that's mentioned. Let's just go there a little bit. All right, who's an 80s baby? 
out there. Come on. All right. So if you know anything about the Ark and you're born in the 80s, you know, you know what movie I'm thinking of? Raiders. That's right. Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, this is a fantastic movie, okay? Um, moms and dads, you know, you might want to filter it a little bit. I haven't watched it in a while. Those 80s movies can be a little dangerous, you know? What was PG in the 80s? Not so anymore, okay? So there's my disclaimer. I wasn't allowed to watch this one part at Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, and it's because when the Nazis, okay, this is not a biblical story, okay, but okay, the Nazis, they captured the, the Ark of the Covenant and they did it in order to manipulate and get power and this and that. When they got the gold box in front and you could see these angels hanging out, the, the cherubim on the top, they took off the top of the gold box and my mom would cover my eyes, right? Because the Shekinah glory of the Ark of the Covenant came out. And the worst part of this movie was that this guy, total 80s graphics, his face melted off and his eyeballs fell out. They looked like ping pong balls. And someone like paint, like dumped a, a bucket of paint on his head. That was like the, how they did it back then, I guess. And then I would open my eyes. Harrison Ford, who played Indiana Jones, was like at the moment, you know, Marion, don't, don't open your eyes no matter what happens. No, just hold it. Can I open my? No, 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 no. Okay. All right. So come back with me for a second. That should just communicate a little bit. It should give you a little bit of glimpse of the importance of this box, like the severity, the seriousness of it. Okay. Not just a piece of furniture in your house. This, this box was, was made right after the Israelites exited Egypt, right? God told him, I want to be worshipped. And so they made different pieces of furniture uh, to put in the tabernacle, a portable temple. And one of them was the Ark of the Covenant that rested in the most holy place. The mercy seat was the top where all the sacrifices were made. When you made a sacrifice, you, you poured out the animal's blood on the mercy seat. And it smoked up. And the smoke would rise to the heavens. And the scripture says that it would enter into the nostrils of God. And he would be satisfied. What does that mean? That his wrath towards sin would be satisfied. It wouldn't be poured out on the people anymore. Because blood was the payment. There were two cherubim. These golden angels that stretched out. And their wings touched over the mercy seat. It was about two and a half feet by three and a half feet. And it was, it was not just a symbol, but it actually, it, it was the presence of God for the people of God in the Old Testament. It mostly stood in the temple. Solomon built the temple. So that was like its, its resting place, its final resting place. And so it was this symbol of, of forgiveness for God's people. But once in a while, they would take it out and march with it. And it would be this symbol that God and His presence were leading His people out to battle. And so when people saw the ark, just like everyone who wasn't an Israelite, and the Israelites too, they would see, oh, that's God. That's His presence with His people. He's leading His people. And his, the, the ministry of God also provides forgiveness for his people. So you can imagine the importance of this ark. And if it was ever taken, how much 
of a tragedy it would be. So right here, we see the people of God in a hardship. And they go, well, how about how about we use the Lord as like a good luck charm and get that ark and therefore He'll do what we want Him to do. You ever been like that? You ever thought like that? You ever thought like, you know what? Um, actually, the Lord is more useful to me than anything. Maybe you've seen that in your Christian life where you've learned after a time um, that things just generally go better if I have a quiet time. <laughs> I generally have a better day if I read the Scriptures. Uh, or, you know, if I pray before this meal, generally I, 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 I'm just hoping I won't get sick. Or, um, hey, let's pray before we go on this road trip so that we won't get in an accident, right? And you start like entreating the Lord, like we, we do these things. Why? Usefulness. Will it help me? Will it protect me? Will it make things go better for me? And pretty soon, the Lord isn't worthy. He's just, he's just useful. Listen to this quote. Whenever the church stops confessing thou art worthy and begins changing it to thou art useful, well, then you know the ark of God has been captured again. That's what we're learning here. We're learning that this is going to be a choice for us. This is not just some random story. Are we going to choose, is he worthy or is he just a good luck charm for us? Do we love his glory or do we just like him being useful? Uh, meet me in verse 10. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and they fled every man to his home. And there was a great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Okay, so the irony of this passage here, friends, is this. So Israel, they want a victory. They, they want the Lord to help them and they want to win, right? And would you say that God is winning right now? You'd probably go, well, I mean, the, God's people lost. So is that a trick question? God is winning, but strangely, he's doing it through unexpected ways. His purpose is being carried out. So his purpose in this chapter is that he is closing out the, chap the, 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 the heinous leadership of Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. He's bringing that to a close. He's wiping them out to establish a new godly regime in Israel. So he is being faithful to his word. It just feels different because in a sense... God is God looks bad because there's 30,000 people slaughtered. And so we step back and we say, yes, this is our God. 
once again. We're seeing that His ways are higher than our ways. That He works in ways that we wouldn't necessarily choose. He works in unexpected ways. He doesn't always match our expectations of how things go. And in this narrative, you would think, all right, God's people, may, yeah, they're broken, they're dirty, but they're, maybe they're trying, and maybe the Lord would just like um, redeem this whole situation. They're putting the box out in front of everyone. You would think that we, He would want to be a good witness to the nations. He wouldn't want His reputation tainted. But here we see that He's more about being faithful to His Word and acting quietly unto Himself rather than worrying about what the crowds think. a tough pill to swallow, but this is our God. This is what we're seeing. And here we see that Israel receives this massive, massive defeat. And then we got this guy. The narrative continues on. This guy who runs like this biblical marathon, 25 miles uh, from, uh, from one city to another and if you're a runner, you know the, the, the legend probably of the first marathon. There was a war between the Greeks and the Persians. Happened at 490 BC. And this guy, after the Greeks won, he ran from Marathon to, to Athens to tell the people that they won, right? And so he's running, running, running. Probably took him like under four hours. I don't know that, you know, but he didn't, he didn't train or anything. And then he enters in the city. And does anyone know the story? If you, if you like the shoe Nike, you'll, you'll know this. He goes, Nike, Nike, which means victory, victory. And then the legend goes that he keeled over and died, right? <laughs> so here we have this modern day, like we got, we got this marathoner and he's running and he enters into the city. But his message, you know, a few years later does not make it into like a cool company and pair of shoes, right? His message is defeat defeat we've been defeated actually it's threefold he he te- the, this runner goes to eli and eli the text describes him as old describes him as blind and we saw that his vision was fading last week and it describes him as heavy which we'll get to that in a little bit and the runner tells him three things he says hey israel has been defeated one two your sons are dead And the third one, which was the biggest blow for Eli, and it caused him to rock back and break his neck, was that the Ark of the Covenant has been taken. And it's interesting, it wasn't the first two that made him rock back in his chair and break his neck. It was the last one. Let's just read it so we're familiar with the text. It's in 18. As soon as he mentioned the Ark of God, you see how the narrator puts that? It wasn't like, oh, he was so grieved of his two godless sons. It's as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from the seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. The story continues that after that, the wife of Phinehas, who is pregnant, hears the news, is so grieved by it, she experiences birth pains and gives birth to a son. Watch this now. 
Um, so far, we've, we've met those two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and we haven't mentioned it, but I'm sure that we've noticed it, that they haven't actually said anything in the Bible. Chapter 2, chapter 3, nothing comes out of their mouth, right? Just the narrator speaks about how horrid they are, okay? Now, Phineas' wife has a child. One commentator said that Phineas' wife, wife, in this one statement, teaches more theology than all of Phineas' life. (laughs) How about that, huh? If you're a daddy, you don't want that said of you, right? You, you want to teach your kids the scriptures. You want to pass on the godly heritage. Phineas didn't do it. His wife, in one statement, teaches more theology than him. Verse 21, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured. And because of their father-in-law and her, and, and her husband, And she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark has been captured. Disobedience from God's people, what did it lead to? No glory. The glory has departed. Uh, None of us in this room uh, that I know of are are Jewish. I don't see any yarmulkes in the crowd, right? Um, None of us for sure are the original audience that this was written to. Um, But let's just say we were, and we read this for the very first time, that God's leadership, that his, his, his presence, that his, the ministry of forgiveness all of, all of those things, leadership, forgiveness, presence, they can all be summed up in the word glory, the glory of God. Now, if we read it for the first time, the glory of God has departed. This is what I think the reaction should be. And I'm going to do it a few times, honestly, for like dramatic and memorable effect. Ready? I think this is what it should be. Ready? I think that's what the reader would, how it would respond. I think that's what they would do. It meant so much to them. It was so precious. We, uh, I, I titled this sermon, The Choice, Glory or Good Luck Charm. And I, I wonder, do we crave him so much and love and appreciate his ministries in our life. Would we have that same reaction? So what does God do? (laughs) Well, you're going to have to come back next week to find it out. Okay, this is the beginning of the ark narrative. Uh, Paul's going to take us starting in chapter 5 next week. But I want to... I want to not stop and make this a dreary Sunday. Like, what a bummer of a text. We just stopped there, (laughs) right? Um, So here's, uh, real quick, here's the purpose of a sermon. 
Um, Luke 24, you guys know this story well. This is uh, the two guys on the road to Emmaus. After Jesus dies on the cross, he raises again, right? And he appears to these two guys. And he's like, what, what went on? And, the, you know, oh, you didn't hear this? How could you not hear this? This is the talk of the town. And, and, and Jesus reveals himself. They go, oh, that's Jesus. But how does that happen? This guy, Jesus, he opens up the scriptures to them. And it says, from the law and the prophets, shares with them that they all point to himself. He says that all of scripture is fulfilled and interpreted in me. And so when even when we read things like 1 Samuel 4, we should go, I wonder how 1 Samuel 4 indeed concerns Christ. Because I don't, I, don't, I don't see the name Jesus in there. How does this passage point to Jesus so that I can love him more and I can follow after Jesus more with my life? Besides, you didn't, you didn't come to church today to just hear about Ichabod and no glory and be like, well, I guess the practical application is just don't name your children or your pets Ichabod. Okay, man. So here's, here's four, four ways. These gospel or Christ connections that are coming your way. The result of it in Luke 24 was that their hearts burned within them. And I'm praying that these four things would cause your heart to burn for Jesus. Okay? Um, they all start with an H. So eat your heart out if you like that type of a sermon. Number one, his holy word. There's two H's there. His holy word. Okay. So... Remember when Jesus was transfigured, he went up the mountain. He brought th three of his buddies with him, James and John and Peter. And, it, and, and the, in Mark 9, it describes this transfiguration as him opening himself up and the very glory of God shining out from him. Mark says, he was whiter than any white I've ever seen. More whiter than any laundry person could, could wash their clothes white. That's the, the way he described it. John later writes about this instance. He could choose anything to say about Jesus. And he says in John 1.14, that we have seen his what? We have seen his glory. So Ichabod, no glory, but now Jesus has come and we have seen his glory. Glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We've, we've, we've seen the glory. The glory has come. It's in the person of Jesus. Peter gets a chance to write about it. He was there on the mountain. And when he's writing his letter, he's like, man, everyone coming after me wasn't on the mountain. How are they going to experience the glory of God? How are they going to walk with Him? I've experienced one of the greatest things ever, and they won't get to. I guess, tough for them? Watch what he says. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. He says, yeah, I had an awesome experience, but this will far outweigh my experience on the mountain. And we have the more prophetic word fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Friends, the first connection that we're making is that you can know God and experience his glory. These are not the times of Ichabod. How do I do that? Peter says, you have a more fulfilled prophetic word. You can know and experience God through the scriptures. It is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's more than ink on a page, black and white. It lives, it comes out, it jumps off the page through your eyes and ears and down into your heart. And it spurs you on to love and follow him. And I wonder... I wonder if this, if the glory of God revealed in the scriptures, if it was the time of Ichabod, which it's not, if it was taken away from us, would our reaction be? His holy word, friends. Number two, heaviness lifted. Oh, I love this one. Okay, so we learned that Eli was a heavy dude, right? He was a heavy man. There's a theme of heaviness in this chapter. The same word uh, in Hebrew, kabed, can mean heavy. can also mean glorious. Eli was kabed. And when the ark was taken, Eli broke his neck. Israel was left with no... How you frame it is kabod, with no glory. Their disobedience led them to this place where they couldn't experience the presence of God anymore. And the beautiful reversal that we find in the scriptures that's our gospel, that we should just cherish, is this. Ready? That our sin was kabed. Our sin was heavy. And instead of his glory departing, God's Son descended to be with us, to be our presence, to be in our presence. And at the cross, he took our, he took our heaviness. He took our shame and he bore the weight. His wrath was was waiting upon us and Jesus absorbed that wrath so that we would no longer be heavy with our sin, heavy with the weight of his wrath. It was all put upon Christ. He was our substitute for our sin. Some translations say that when Phineas' wife said, because glory of the Lord has departed, it means that the glory of the Lord went into exile. And that's what happened at the cross. The father turned away from his son and put him in exile. And in that motion, in that action, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he brought us near. And in so doing, he lifted our heaviness. Friends, we don't have to live heavily anymore under the weight of our sin. Yet I wonder if this ministry of, of God lifting our heaviness, I wonder if it, was, if it was still upon us, if it was the times of Ichabod. I wonder 
if our reaction would still be this. What if the ministry of God lifting our heaviness wasn't there? Number three, Holy Spirit, our presence. So, brothers and sisters, if you believe, we're so, uh, Tim, were you predicting that one? You're like, what other H's are? Is this Newman guy? Uh-huh, I knew it. You have the Spirit. That's why you. <laughs> if you have repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to forgive your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, then guess what? You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, his ministry in your life. It's like when you believed, he came and indwelt you and sealed you till the day of redemption. And now you don't have to look to a box anymore. You don't have to look from a distance and go, oh, I wish I had that. Or, oh, that's him leading and that's him guiding and that's him teaching. And that's him, his presence with his people. Man, that seems like a nice thing. If you have Christ you have the Holy Spirit in you to lead and guide. He prods you to be forgiven under the Lord. He convicts you of sin. He comforts you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's what it's all about. It's, it's a beautiful thing in the Christian life. We're sealed with him. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. It's different than the Old Testament where the glory of the Lord departs after disobedience. But now if you have the Spirit, the Spirit convicts and leads you to Christ now. That's His promise to you. But I wonder, I wonder if the ministry of the Holy Spirit was taken away from you. The comforting, the guiding, the teaching, all of it. If it was just saying, ah, now are the times of Ichabod. Sorry, people. Would your reaction be, Not the Spirit. No! No, it's too precious to me. It's too precious. I have to. I, I, every day, when I go to school, when I go to work, I, I must. Would your reaction be that? Or it's, well, maybe it's just not as useful for me anymore. But I'll continue on in the pattern of life. Because I just want to live a good life. Would you grieve that in the way that God's people should have grieved losing the ark? Last one, hope given. Number four, hope given. So the profound thing is this. When you behold Jesus, you grow. You grow from, it's, and this is the connection, from no glory to glory. Ready? When you behold Jesus, you grow from one degree of glory to another. One writer said, you become what you behold. Second uh, Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So friends, this means, this is a beautiful, hope-filled message from a very dreary passage that if you know the Lord, and I'll say it again, these are not the times of Ichabod. If you have the Lord, you have great hope because he has promised not to leave you the same. 
He has promised to help you grow in Christ Jesus. That should comfort you and give you so much hope that He has promised and He will fulfill this work in you to help you become more like His Son Jesus from one degree of glory to another. I'll I'll do this for the last time, but I wonder if this hope was taken from you. If this was the times of Ichabod. Do Do you cherish hope in the reality that God has promised to help you grow so much that if it was taken away from you, would you go, So if, friends, if you are here today and if you don't know the Lord, if you came here and prior to like listening to this story and hearing the glories of the gospel, if you didn't know Christ, but this story has, has revealed to you that you've been turning to religiosity your whole life, there's great hope for you that you can know God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have to turn to a box, to a certain path living or anything. You can turn to Him. And the usefulness is this. He'll give you eternal life. He'll actually give you Himself. And He'll be your portion and your strength and your all-satisfying treasure for your whole life. If you place your faith in him, he'll be your presence, which doesn't stay in a box anymore, but comes to you in his glory through the spirit that you may walk. Let's pray. And so, Father, we we want to cherish your son Jesus so much with our life. Lord, we want to have hope and we want to glory in the Spirit. And we, oh Lord, we, we, just, we just ask for forgiveness. Have we entreated you in such a way that we've just said you're more useful to me than actually me wanting to know you and be with you? Would you help us all? Thank you for this story. Thank you for teaching us that, Lord, you're not to be a good luck charm. But you are to be our glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us so that we can respond to God's word through song? If at any moment you want to pray with a fellow believer, now you can go off to the wings and, um, and go to the Lord. Let's close our time.